There's like really no break because our entertainment is our phones because we can't go outside. Our school is on our like laptop. So it feels like we're just kind of like always in front of it and it's kind of like unbearable at times. I would just say that anyone who's dealing with mental health consequences understand that it's okay to talk about a mental health challenge and that uh, there are people and tools who can help you. This is C-Suite, the podcast where you'll hear stories from real people, leaders, and cybersecurity experts about how to stay connected and protected. Every episode, we'll explore different cyber challenges and highlight the many ways we can enhance our online security, reduce the likelihood of attacks, and improve our digital confidence. I'm your host, Claudette McGowan. As technology continues to evolve at a rapid pace, the way we operate within the digital landscape may look drastically different from one generation to the next. For many young people in their tweens, teens, and 20s, it becomes more difficult to separate their online lives from the real world now that school, work, friendships, and relationships are conducted almost exclusively online through platforms like Zoom, Snapchat, TikTok, and soon, the metaverse. With all this time spent online, we've uncovered a whole new set of challenges for young people. Things like cyberbullying, online predators, and cybersecurity issues were major concerns before the pandemic. But now, these problems have come under the microscope as real and present dangers to young people's lives. In season one of C-Suite, we sat down with several experts and young people to discuss the current challenges associated with youth and the online world. Today, we're highlighting previously unreleased clips from these earlier episodes about the issues facing young people and the online world today. First, we'll hear straight from a young internet user to get her take on her own online consumption. When we spoke with her, Shanaz was a high school student about to turn 18 years old. One of her main concerns about her online consumption had to do with the advent of online school. Understandably, Shanaz felt like there was little separation between her personal life and her school life. While this problem has improved since we heard from Shanaz in March 2021, the repercussions of this isolation will likely live on for years to come. I think the main thing I would say about that would be anything like any kid would say, like mainly the type of conversations that we have with our friends. Obviously, our parents have a different mindset and the way we speak to them is not how we speak to our peers. So I think when it comes to online school, there's a lot of like mixed opinions. For me personally, I actually really like online school simply because I can arrange my day according to like myself and my schedule. And it's kind of allowed me to explore more of my interests and like take up even a job. But I think the one thing that is tough about online school is obviously missing that social interaction because like there's only so much we can do being at home and seeing the same faces every day. I think you get kind of tired of it because you feel like that's the only thing you're doing. And before school felt like, okay, the weekend was kind of like a break and 
you can kind of separate school from your house life but now it feels like those are just extra days to complete assignments and like there's like really no break because our entertainment is our phones because we can't go outside our school is on our like laptop or whatever like so media that we're using so it feels like we're just kind of like always in front of it and it's kind of like a little bit unbearable at times for those of us who didn't grow up so deeply entrenched in the online world it can be difficult to relate to the experiences of youth today. Matt McGowan, the general manager of Snapchat Canada, noted that young people today are entrusted with smartphones much earlier than they would have been in the past. And while this is often done with positive intent, it's important that they're made aware of the dangers of data sharing online. Well, when I was growing up, I had one computer that entered the household, I think in like fifth or sixth grade. And I didn't get my first phone until after college. I want to say I didn't get my phone in 1998. That's all very different now, right? The young children are often given devices by their parents for probably rather reasonable, uh, or rather like with good intent. And universities and schools across the planet are integrating digital into the classroom, whether it's for you know your research papers or submitting your grades. There's very few parallels you can draw between the you know the the academic experience pre mobile phones, uh, kind of the academic experience post you know today today you know with mobile phones. I think everything's probably changed and. Um, Access to information being one major change, but two, privacy and, and, and the sharing of personal moments and information being another. So I just think in general, it's, it's black and white. It's, um, there's, very, um, there's very few uh, parallels. And we shouldn't be supplying children or young adults with these devices without an education in what the implications of these devices are and can be. We make lots of generalizations and I would argue that's probably a valid one that the younger populace is more trusting of sharing data and and information online uh, than the older populace. That said, that could be for a variety of reasons. One is they don't know any other way. Two might be, on average, they don't tend to have as much to protect as resource-wise as the older generation. And I'd say maybe a third one is they're also, they tend to be much more literate in digital than the older populace. And that is, you know, I think that could set up the perfect storm. During our conversation, Matt explained how when Snapchat first came on the scene, the idea of certain posts being transitory gave many young users a false illusion of security when posting things online. Evan and Bobby built Snapchat in their dorm room nine years ago around the premise of being the fastest way to communicate. And they understood that the fastest way to communicate probably meant not using the keyboard. We all know the saying, an image speaks a thousand words, a video speaks a million words. 
to make to make Snapchatters to help Snapchatters become more comfortable with sharing pictures, two features were introduced. One, ephemerality. You're much more comfortable sharing pictures of yourself if you believe they're not going to live forever. If you know they're not going to live forever. And two, augmented reality. If you could quickly augment the picture with a, a swipe, you'd be less conscious of the picture of what it is you're of what it is you're kind of communicate what it is you're sharing, especially when you think of selfies. So the idea that this data wasn't going to live forever became integral to make helping Snapchatters become more comfortable with sharing videos and pictures. And we've kind of just grown from there. So if you think about some of the most memorable moments you've had in your life, not all of them are recorded. And at the end of the day, consumers online were looking for a, a virtual water cooler where they could communicate across great distances to people with people they cared about quickly, but not be recorded forever. However, as many of us are aware today, once it's online, it stays online. Whatever you share can be used in unexpected ways, even if you delete it. In her own digital life, Shanaz has learned this lesson from firsthand experience. She now takes steps to ensure she thinks before she posts, and she keeps her information as private as possible. So before, like I would say maybe when I was in middle school, I kind of trusted the internet a bit too much. I mean, I would hear like older people saying like, what you put out there is going to be there forever. But like, I never really took that into account because I was deleting it. Like, where could it possibly go? But as time kind of went on, I kind of started to realize that that's not the case. It actually can be there and you do have to be like vigilant of what you're going to be posting. So now I don't think I feel that safe on the internet. Like I have to be very careful with what I post and I've actually limited a lot of what I post. Um, but back then I definitely wasn't that aware and I should have been more aware. I think for me, um, I guess educating myself on things that I may not be taking into consideration because as a, there's an advancement with technology, like we're trying, we're starting to find out like more common ways people are getting our information and things that we can do to be safer, like especially things with like passwords. You know, we all make the common mistake of probably making similar passwords or the same passwords for multiple accounts. But if that gets leaked, then, you know, you're compromised with a lot of things. So that's one thing I didn't really take seriously that I want to to be more like secure. But definitely just gaining more knowledge on what are other things that I should do to keep myself safe? Because people like hackers are getting way more smart now with all this technology in their hands. So just, I guess, growing my knowledge is the biggest thing to make me feel safe. So I would say that you have to always be careful with what you post and making your information private, for sure. Like, you don't want to give everything about yourself on the Internet to, you know, people that may not have the best intention. So making things private is always a good start and kind of keeping in mind, like, OK, if I send this picture, if I send this text, is this going to like put me in jeopardy later because it can be one screenshot away or it can you know, be taken on a different like camera or something like that, you know? So just thinking about your decisions and not just fully trusting like social media, whether it be like Snapchat, where it'll erase in 24 hours, like you can't really trust anything. So you have to be really careful with what you're putting out there. 
Although many young people online, such as Shanaz, are using digital tools responsibly, it's only natural for parents to worry about their children falling victim to one of the many dangers online, such as cyber bullies, scammers, and the like. In another interview earlier this year, we sat down with Erin Ellison, the regional lead for Canada, Australia, and New Zealand at Pinterest. As a mother of three who works at one of the largest social media platforms in the world, Erin had some insightful points to make about young people and responsible social media use. I think you have to be incredibly curious and in constant and close communication with your kids. And I don't say that in a flippant way, because as a working mother of three, I don't have the luxury always of knowing what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing right now. <laughs> they're all home. School's closed. They're on devices right now. And I can't, I can't police everything they're doing. But what I can do, if not every single day, because that's not possible, but what I can do is always make the line of communication open to ask them questions about what they're experiencing online and just watch for cues that maybe, maybe their mood has shifted after they came off of maybe a FaceTime call or a group chat and really make sure I'm double clicking and understanding what's happening. I don't think I have to be on TikTok, for instance, I'm just using that platform as an example or, or whatever the platform is that they're using to be conscious and aware of how those experiences might be affecting them. And so it's just about being curious, asking a lot of questions and having a an openness to be educated on things you don't understand, even if a behavior seems like impossible to you. Because obviously there are things we can't even envision about how technology is being used now in both fun and not so fun ways. And so we have to really keep our ears open and our minds open to seeing how these things evolve and how that might affect our kids. When it comes to cyberbullying specifically, Erin mentioned that part of the challenge can be identifying these problems in the first place. For many kids and teens, the abuse is happening in a closed ecosystem their parents may not have access to, and they may feel ashamed or embarrassed about coming forward. For Erin, instilling children with empathy and kindness from a young age is essential when it comes to reducing the instances of cyberbullying in our online communities. I certainly have friends who have children who have faced all sorts of both public and private experiences with cyberbullying. Sometimes on platforms we can see they've been victims in a way that are more transparent. And sometimes, you know, in platforms that perhaps kids are using that we don't have complete access to all the time that has a closed ecosystem. And in the end, uh, people are silently suffering perhaps many degrees of shaming and not really always knowing how to action that or, or who they can talk to, what part is their fault and how to resolve these types of challenges. So I think like anyone today, it exists in everyone's worlds through, pers through personal or indirect experiences. And I try to teach my kids and my daughter's actually kind of has this in her naturally. She gets gratification from being kind and also from helping others who are in difficult situations. And so for me, it really comes down to empathy and kindness. The third thing, uh, which is true in all aspects of growing up, is, is making sure my daughter knows and that her friends know and everyone she speaks to that if they are ever in any degree of 
emotional pain, pain that's clear, pain that maybe they can't even understand themselves because of how they're being treated, they absolutely need to tell an adult. In my case, of course, I want that to be me. I want my daughter to know she should express all emotions all the time, even if she can't understand why something makes her feel poorly. And to know that no matter what anyone says, you should always come to an adult and never suffer silently. And I think as kids, we all remember those things we didn't tell our parents. And looking back, of course, we should have. And that that's for me what it comes down to. So just that focus on empathy, kindness, and transparent communication with those you trust. Whether a young person is struggling with cyberbullying or any other challenge related to their online consumption, it's important that parents, teachers, and other authority figures help the youth understand that they're not alone and there is help available if it's needed. I'm very passionate about uh, mental health. I'm on the cabinet committee at CAMH, and I'm keenly aware of how large of a problem we face in Canada and around the world with youth and adult mental health. And I would just say that uh, anyone who's dealing with mental health consequences related to any form of peer-to-peer communication or online bullying or even just challenged relationships online or in person should understand that there are many people who struggle with many uh, complex mental health consequences to, to the tools that exist today. And again, they should ask for help uh, and not feel alone and understand that it's okay to talk about a mental health challenge uh, and that uh, there are people and tools who can help you. While the ever-evolving online landscape has certainly presented a set of new challenges for children, teens, and adults alike, there's no denying that it comes with its benefits too. Corey is a North American security and investigations professional. He spent 22 years with the FBI, including positions such as special agent overseeing programs involving cybercrime, counterintelligence, and fraud. His advice when it comes to protecting our children from the dangers of the internet was simple. As parents, we need to stay on top of the rapid developments happening within cyberspace while also installing safeguards to help our children navigate the online world safely. In the course of my career, we moved 13 times. You know, my kids were able to maintain their relationship with their friends all around the country because of the way the internet developed. So there's there's a tremendous positive with the internet. You know, the downside is, you know, when I talk about crimes against children, 98% of the offenders don't know these kids in the real world. So they're meeting them online. You know, so some of the same rules that we talk about in physical space to protect kids about not talking to strangers and, you know, if they're uncomfortable with a conversation and talking to a parent or, you know, a trusted adult, all that advice is good online as well. So, you know, again, the Internet's a two-edged sword. It gives, it gives kids tremendous access to information, the ability to connect online. Yes, and in some cases meet new people, but, you know, that's gotta be, there's got to be some vetting process there and there has to be some oversight. You know, I, I watched my kids go through a desktop in a common area of the house. That's how we started, you know, and that, that evolved all the way up to Pokemon Go where they're out, you know, running around in the physical world you know, engaging with a portable device. So, you know, the, the way the devices have changed and the way that kids interact with these devices have changed over the years and the apps have changed, which with that evolution, 
becomes, you know, a bit of a challenge for, for parents because they've got to get up to speed on that. And they have to research these things to understand what their capabilities are because the capabilities are just growing exponentially. You know, you've got kids watching other kids in, you know, gaming activities and esports has risen. You know, I, I, like I said, I see that in my own kids. So there's, there's been some definitive changes in the environments and the behaviors have changed with that environmental change. So it's a challenge. You know, like I said, with my kids, you know, they, they've used this in a positive fashion to stay in touch with their friends, you know, uh, from Texas to Florida to Virginia and all the places that we've been in the course of my career. So that's been positive. You know, again, the, the, the negative is, you know, social. And I think what I see is the algorithms that some of these platforms can use can suggest to kids of who they should be friends with. And I think that is something that, you know, parents and kids themselves have to safeguard against, that they don't have to like everything, that they don't have to take every friend request, you know, the ability to say no and the ability, again, to fight that impulse to click on everything. You know, I, I wouldn't say there's an addiction here. Um, there is a positive here, but again, you know, we've, we've got we've to develop safeguards to go along with that. So we can't lose sight of that. Despite how savvy they are, young people today are still highly vulnerable when it comes to the dangers of the internet. There's no denying that the pandemic has resulted in an excess of screen time for all of us. But this can be especially damaging for children and teens. Here are a few key insights we can all take away from this episode and ultimately keep youth safe online. Too much time spent online and not enough in-person interaction can be seriously detrimental to young people's mental health. Let's encourage our kids to take frequent breaks from the screen, which includes going outside, speaking to a friend face-to-face, or reading a book. Cyberbullying is a big concern for children and teens, but it can be very challenging for adults to recognize it when it's happening and intervene. It's important to be vigilant of slight changes in your children's mood or demeanor and ask them questions about what's going on in their daily interactions. Let's face it, kids and adults are both online. Consider engaging with the young people in your life in virtual spaces like collaborative games, social media, and the new growing trend, family group chats. Thank you, Matt, Aaron, and Corey for sharing your insights. And thanks to Shanaz for offering a youth's perspective. And thank you for listening to C-Suite. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This has been our last episode of 2021. We'll be taking a short break over the holiday season and returning with new episodes in 2022. I'm Claudette McGowan. And remember, with over 4 billion of us online, we have to do everything possible to keep ourselves connected and protected.